0: While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know we're for we're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong we're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers we're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest and most flawed among us and most importantly we're for you Uptown Church in the city for the city Alright, well good morning everybody How are you guys? It's so good to see you. I honestly was really shocked that so many of you came to worship the Sunday after Thanksgiving, but it feels good, doesn't it? It feels good after a whole week with friends and family and all sorts of different food. This is like a palate cleanser, right? Like this is like worship, we're here, we're together. It is so, so good to see you all. If I have not met you in person yet, I am Elizabeth Mosley. I am one of the pastors here at Uptown Church, but I am not the typical preaching pastor because just like a lot of us, our preaching pastor, Joy Gonzalez, uh, spent some time on vacation this week, and so she is still there hanging out with her family and enjoying that. Um, And so we get to be together this morning, and I am very, very thankful for that. Now, how many of you uh, okay, Brad, you did it already. You don't even know what I'm asking, but that's amazing. That's amazing. How many of you like cooked something for Thanksgiving this year? Anybody? Okay, y'all, I made a salad. <laughs> yeah, that's an inside joke. If you thank you, thank you. If you heard my sermon from two weeks ago, um, I cooked salad and scrambled eggs and homemade pasta sauce. And none of those other th- those last two things were not required at Thanksgiving, so I made salad this year. I was actually supposed to make another dish, but then when I told my sister the, uh, my plan for making the dish, she was like, yeah, I'll do that one. Like, I literally make salad, so that's what I did, and it was amazing, everybody complimented my salad because I can cook salad. How many of y'all ate and then you're like, yeah, now it's time for a restaurant, right? Everybody had their fill of turkey and then you go to a restaurant later. That's 100% what we did. Luckily, um, some of my kids' favorite food and me and Neil, our favorite food is uh, Thai food, and so we got some great, great Thai food last night. It was amazing and honestly, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, so nice sometimes to just go to a restaurant, right, and be served and be taken care of and have that sort of wonderful experience. So whatever your Thanksgiving was, whatever um, was great about it, whatever was maybe stressful about it, you are here at church and we are together this morning and that is something to celebrate. Now, Joy and I, um, we have been preaching the last few weeks in this sermon series. Y'all, this air is going to blow my notes everywhere. All right, we'll, we'll hang in there together. We've been preaching in this sermon series called Bigger Table. And we've looked at this really beautiful and powerful analogy of the kingdom of God, of God's future vision for all of creation being like a big table, where There is a lot of amazing food, and it's beautifully set, and there are seats for everyone. And we've talked about how God calls us as the church, as the people who claim to follow and love God. We've talked about how God calls us then to make sure that we're inviting more people to the table, to make sure that we're bringing what we have to the table, to make sure that we are showing up and helping to make the table bigger. I love this sermon series. Now, as we were first starting to talk about it, we really loved this analogy for a lot of obvious reasons. We are getting into this season where we would be gathering around tables. And like we've talked about, I really, really love food. So I was super into it. And as we talked about this concept of the table, this quote came to to mind and, and became part of our conversation. It's this quote right here which you may have seen and I have tried my best to figure out where exactly it came from but I think it's one of those quotes that has just become so much a part of our like social consciousness that it's really hard to actually pinpoint its origin and truthfully it probably has come from a lot of places because this is not that this is not um, that foreign right I mean it's not It's not like nobody has thought of this before, but I love it so much, right? It says this, if I am more fortunate than others, I need to build a bigger table and not a taller fence. I mean, I love that. And as we started talking about the sermon series, we were like, yes, this quote is so powerful. It it strikes a chord in us, but you know what's even better is it's something that we see over and over and over again in the stories of our faith. Throughout the scripture, we see God asking God's people to do just this. To build a bigger table and not a taller fence. And especially, I think, when we look in the Gospels, when we look at the person of Jesus and what he is constantly not only doing, but calling his followers to do, it is to build bigger tables, not so that we can have more food, but so that everyone, everyone has a seat. This is such a beautiful thing. And how do we do this, though? How do we actually build a bigger table? Well, I think it has something to do with something that we've probably talked about a lot this past week. I think it starts with something that we've thought about and have dedicated some of our time to this week, and that's gratitude. Now, like, I get it, okay? It's the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're talking about gratitude, all right? I, I get it. But I want to do a deep dive into gratitude because while we practice it at this whole celebration around it, we have this whole celebration around this concept of gratitude, I think sometimes we don't really kind of dig in and really kind of think about what it is and what it can do for us. So gratitude... Gratitude is something, it's what I want to talk about, but I, and I think this is really important as we think about this, because it is more than just thankfulness, right? Gratitude is more than just simple kind of, thank you, this is, this is nice, thank you, right? I am thankful when the server finally brings me my meal, right? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful when my kids finally pick up all their shoes that are strewn over the house after I've asked them to a thousand times, right? I'm thankful for that. I am thankful that my uncle did not bring up politics at the Thanksgiving dinner table, right? So I'm thankful for those things, but I think gratitude, gratitude is something that's a little bit deeper than that. In fact, gratitude has been researched by scientists to try to understand its impact and its effect in our lives, physically and relationally, and emotionally and spiritually, people have actually like psychologists and psychiatrists have like spent time, social scientists, they have spent time researching gratitude. And so I was looking up some definitions of gratitude and I want to share them with you today because I think they're so powerful and there is this like amazing scientific twist to it and scientific part to it that again just brings it a little bit deeper than maybe just typical thankfulness. So here's one definition, kind of basic basic intro definition, right? Gratitude is a social emotion that signals our recognition of the things that others have done for us, right? Someone does something for us, we have a feeling of gratitude, but I love that word social. It's a social emotion. It connects us to somebody else. It's not just about ourselves. Here's another definition. Gratitude is an emotion that is typically evoked when one receives costly, unexpected, and intentionally rendered benefits when something really benefits us. It's not just something that someone has done for us, but it like really benefits us. And look at that word, it's unexpected. Now this is a really like scientific sounding one, right? Gratitude is a cognitive affective state. I have no idea what that means. It's a cognitive affective state that is typically associated with the perception that one has received a personal benefit that was not intentionally sought after deserved or earned, but one received it rather because of the good intentions of another person. So somebody else does something for me that I didn't look for, or expect, or earn, and it's just because they wanted to do something good for me. And I feel then this emotion of gratitude for that. Here's another one. Gratitude is an emotion that we feel in response to ultimately to something good which is undeserved and then I love this it goes on if we acquire a good through exchange effort or achievement or by right that's when we typically don't feel gratitude now isn't that interesting if we expect something if we earn something then we typically don't feel gratitude we might be thankful that our waiter finally brought us the food that we ordered and paid for Well, we were expecting that right We're thankful that they brought it, but there was kind of this sense of, well, I did this part and you do that part. It's very transactional in some ways. But gratitude, it really hones in on this sense of being unexpected or undeserved, unlooked for, and that's this deep emotion. I think, ultimately, gratitude is the response that we have when someone gives us a gift. When someone offers us a gift, That is how we respond, is with gratitude. Because it's more than thankfulness. It's this deep acknowledgement and appreciation for goodness in our life. But goodness that is given as a gift, a free gift. One that's not looked for or earned or deserved. But that's free. And that's for our benefit. And that maybe we didn't expect. I love that, that this, this kind of simplistic, simplistic way of thinking of gratitude, it is in a response to a gift. You don't buy a gift for yourself. You don't earn a gift. That, if you buy a gift, you're just buying a thing, right? It's no longer a gift. It's just a thing if you buy it. A gift is something freely given, but here's where I think we make gratitude super complicated. It's so simple, but we make it complicated because how often do we give and receive gifts with a lot of strings attached? We give and receive gifts with a lot of strings attached. And so gratitude then gets kind of warped in a lot of our experiences. Gratitude becomes something that maybe it's about, it's about something else than actually what we receive. There's like this other layer to it, a hidden agenda sometimes. Or sometimes we feel like gratitude, then it becomes about something that we actually do have to earn. Or sometimes when we receive a gift and we kind of get this sense of gratitude, but then ultimately it's about, it's about something that now we feel like we owe in response to receiving a gift. And often I think when we give a gift, we're going to have this sense of gratitude, but it gets all wrapped up in actually what we still don't have. I was talking to one of my friends, and she was talking about how, I mean, literally, this happened. She was talking about how she tried to be really thankful that her boyfriend would bring her coffee in the mornings, but he never brought her coffee the right way. Like, he never brought it the way she wanted, and so it was actually super annoying to her right? Like, he was, like, giving her this gift, but it wasn't the way she wanted it, and that's what was highlighted, and so it was actually more frustrating than it was, she, like, felt more frustration than she did gratitude, right? It's kind of like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, right? Or, or thanks, yeah, na- thanks for that, right? Thanks for that. But, like, with that sarcastic tone, you know, that's a great meme. We, we so often, I think, make gratitude complicated because we Forget what it's like to receive something freely with no strings attached. That's truly a gift that doesn't require or demand anything from it. But gratitude like this, practicing gratitude like this, this is what the scientists have studied. And they have said how powerful it is for our lives. It actually changes how we perceive ourselves and those around us and our world. It can transform us spiritually and emotionally and physically, like we have physical response to this feeling of gratitude when we make it super simple, when we make it about acknowledging the gift that we have that was freely given. And what they all said, if you notice, in all of those definitions, it starts with an awareness and an acknowledgement. To truly be grateful, we have to be aware of what we have. That we have something that we would not otherwise have had. And it's easy to forget what that is. And so I'm going to ask you, which you may have already done sometime this week, but right now I'm going to ask you to do it again. I would like you to think of the thing or something or an experience or a feeling. What are you grateful for? What is something that there's no strings attached to it? That it's there for you? That someone or something did something for you, benefited you personally, that you are thankful and grateful for. That deep feeling of gratitude. What is that for you? I'm going to ask you to hold on to that idea. Hold on to that feeling of gratitude when you think of this thing. As we talk about the scripture that we're going to read together today. Now, I'm going to read from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, we've talked about it before. It's one of four accounts of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection that we have in our scriptures. It's in the New Testament. It's uh, ordered like this. There are four stories. We call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we have a bunch of letters and a bunch of other writings in the New Testament. But those four are at the beginning of the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles... You can open those to Luke 19. And if you don't, that's okay. We'll have the words on the screen for you. But we're going to be looking at this Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke was written, it is believed, to a group of people who were, who were a big mixed bag. There are folks from all different backgrounds, all different places, all different ideas. And they were gathered together and trying to live in community. And they had heard about Jesus. And they they wanted to know more about Jesus. And so in the beginning of Luke, it actually says, this is written for a God lover, someone who loves God, so that they would know the truth about God. Luke was written to someone who loves God so that they would know the truth about God. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 19, and we'll start with verse 1. Now, again, I want to preface this by saying, this may be a story that you're somewhat familiar with. Apparently, there's a song about this character, but I'm not going to sing it because I'm just not. But you may be familiar with the story, but if you are, I want you to walk through through it with me, okay? Don't assume you know all the things, all right? Sometimes we do that when we're familiar with the story. We assume we know all the things. But let's read through it. We're going to go through line by line. So Jesus entered Jericho. Now Jericho was a town kind of on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but it's it was a pretty popular town. It was, it was like a fun town, like, you know, different rulers and wealthy people would go there to like hang out and go to the resort, basically. And so it was a, it was a fun and cool town. The road between Jericho and Jerusalem was somewhat treacherous, um, but it's near Jerusalem, and in this part of the gospel, Jesus is entering Jericho, and he is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. So he enters Jericho and he's passing through it. And a man was there named Zacchaeus. Does anybody have that song pop into their head now? Yeah, we're not gonna sing it though, okay. Now Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and was rich. Right off the bat, right? we have some bias against this character. Well, we probably don't because we know the end of the story. But if you were hearing the story for the first time, you would have bias against this character. Now remember what tax collectors did and were in the time of Jesus. Tax collectors were agents of the Roman Empire who collected taxes for Rome and they could collect whatever they wanted. There was no like set price for tax. If they had an area, they could collect whatever they wanted to collect paid to Rome what was Rome's, and then they got to keep the rest. So as you can imagine, there was a lot of opportunity for manipulation and abuse and corruption in this system. And there were some people who took advantage of that and some people who maybe didn't take advantage of that as much. But here's Zacchaeus, and he is not only a tax collector, y'all, he is a chief tax collector. He kind of oversaw the entire system. And we know that he was good at his job because he was rich, it says. So we have Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who's good at his job. Now, tax collectors and those of their ilk did not typically fare very well in their social settings in the Jewish culture. Because not only had they contact with Rome, which made them unclean, but Because they often scammed their own people, they really were not enjoyed by people and did not have very many friends in their society. And so here we have this tax collector. And he is trying to see who Jesus was. That's what he was doing, trying to see who Jesus was. He knew Jesus was walking through, a bunch of people on account of the crowd. He could not because he was short in stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. You know, I just want to pause. I love this image, right? And this is kind of is brought up a lot. You got this little short guy who long somehow longs to see Jesus. He really wants to see Jesus. And you got this person who really lords it over people have to actually climb a tree to get above everyone's head so that he gets to see Jesus. I think that's a powerful image there. To think of him as the ruler, the the ruling tax collector who actually gets to lord it over people and has so much power over people, but he is so short he can't see Jesus. And so to ensure that he gets to see Jesus, he climbs a tree and gets above everyone. That's a powerful image there for me. And so this is what happens. Jesus comes to this place and he looked up into this sycamore tree, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. Don't miss what Jesus does here. Zacchaeus climbed into a tree so that he could see Jesus, but what does Jesus do? Jesus sees him. Jesus sees him, and he calls him by name he knows his name, he calls him by name, and he's like, Zacchaeus, come on down from that tree. Join the crowd again. Come on down from that high height and join the crowd. You don't need to be, you don't need to be set apart any longer. You don't need to be above people's heads any longer. Come on down and join the crowd because I not only see you and I'm inviting you to come back down, I am going to your house today. And what is Zacchaeus' response? I love this. He hurried down and he was happy. He was happy to welcome him. He was happy because he knew what Jesus did for him. And what did Jesus do for him? His response was joy because Jesus sees him. Jesus saw him. Jesus called him, called him by name. Jesus invited him down, and Jesus said, I am with you. Jesus saw him and called him and invited him and said, I am with you. And so his response was to be happy. And I think ultimately it was that feeling of gratitude that Zacchaeus must have felt in that moment. He was not loved by many people. He was an agent of Rome, but he was not their friend. He, in the system that he worked in and under and perpetuated, he was not connected to a lot of his own community either. There probably wasn't a big table at his house for Thanksgiving. And yet Jesus shows up and sees him and calls him by name and invites him down and is with him. And you know that it was good. You know how good this was because other people were jealous of it, right? Look at this. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone. Jesus has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. If you didn't know how unlike Zacchaeus was, those, uh, those grumblings would tell you. Everybody else was like, why that guy? Why would you go to that guy's house? He's a sinner. And again, why was he a sinner? Because of what he did. What he did made him a sinner in their eyes. And they could not believe that Jesus would do what Jesus did. But when Jesus or anyone, let's say this, when anyone does something for you that you don't expect, you have that feeling of gratitude. And Zacchaeus was happy, and it was powerful. That happiness, that joy, that gratitude that he felt. It was so powerful. And here's the thing with gratitude. It doesn't require a response. Gratitude, pure and simple gratitude, doesn't require a response. But it usually inspires a response. When we have that simple feeling, that deep and simple acknowledgement That there is something good in our lives that we didn't earn or deserve or expect. It doesn't require a response from us because it's a free gift. And yet it so often inspires a response, doesn't it? Look at what Zacchaeus says next. Zacchaeus stands there and he says to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything... I will pay back four times as much. Zacchaeus says that to Jesus. Y'all, he says that to those grumbling right around him. And he says, I see what's been done for me, and I am going to respond now. I am going to no longer hoard and keep and take. I am now going to give. That's a powerful response. Now the Greek word here, I will give or I will pay back, here's the thing. It can often be translated, it can be translated both ways. It can be future, I will give back. Or it could also be I give back currently. Zacchaeus could be claiming that this is actually what he already tries to do. So look at what Jesus says. Then Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. Salvation has come to this house today, to Zacchaeus's house. Because Jesus says, I'm here to look for those who are lost. I'm here to look for them and I'm here to save them. But this is so important, y'all. Zacchaeus wasn't saved because of what he did or what he gave. He was saved because Jesus saw him and showed up. Salvation wasn't something that, that Zacchaeus earned. Salvation is something that Jesus brings to Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to that house Because Jesus came to that house. People thought Zacchaeus was a sinner because of what he did. Zacchaeus tries to show what he either does or will do. And Jesus is like, that doesn't matter. Because I saw you before you said anything. And I called you by name. And I invited you down. And I am with you. Salvation came to Zacchaeus because Jesus saw Zacchaeus and showed up and invited him down. And so that's why, if you ask me, I think that Zacchaeus really does respond to that because it's out of his gratitude, out of his happiness, out of his joy that Jesus saw him, that salvation was offered to him that he then says, okay, I was lost. I was separated and now I am going to reconnect. Think about that. He was disconnected. He was literally above the crowd. And Jesus sees him and calls him back down, brings him back into connection, brings him back into the crowd. And out of a response to that, Zacchaeus says, okay, now I will benefit the community that I have just rejoined. Either way that you translate it, there is response and there is restoration that happens in this story. It doesn't matter if it's something that Zacchaeus will do or if it's something that he does. Because Jesus shows up, there is response and restoration. What is lost has been found, and it has been returned, both in the person of Zacchaeus to the community and in the things that Zacchaeus had taken from the community maybe in the first place. Y'all, no matter where you are, I don't know how to tell you this enough, But God sees you. No matter where you are, God sees you. No matter if you're tall or short, God sees you. God knows your name. God knows who you are. And God calls your name. And God invites you into restoration. Whatever that means in your life, God invites you down to be restored. And God is with you. God is with you. Just like with Zacchaeus, y'all, Christ has already shown up. Christ has already shown up, and Christ has already offered you love and grace and salvation. It's there, and it is a free gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You can't buy it. It is there for you because Christ sees you and shows up and offers it to you with no strings attached. Salvation today has come to your house because God loves you and is with you. So the question that I think we all have to answer is how are we going to respond to that? Now you may already know this, but in case you don't, God loves you and is with you. And that gratitude, that simple gratitude, how are you going to respond to that gratitude? It doesn't require a response, but it should inspire a response. Well, I have a suggestion for how we might respond to that. If you are more fortunate than others, build a bigger table, not a taller fence. If you find yourself feeling that deep sense of gratitude for what you have, for who God is for you, for what God has done to you and for you, build a bigger table and not a taller fence. In other words, when you acknowledge the gifts that you have been given, look for ways to share them with others. When um, Neil and I first started dating, we would go out to restaurants. We talk about this a lot, obviously, but we love restaurants. Okay, so we went out to restaurants a lot when we started dating. And when Neil would pay, I would notice that he would typically live or re- leave a really nice tip. And at first I was like, oh, that's so great. Like, he's so generous. I kind of love that about him. And then we got married and we combined our finances. And I was like, wait a second. You're leaving that much for them? A really big tip. I mean, the service was fine, but it, like, wasn't that great. And that thing that I kind of liked about him and loved about him started to kind of annoy me. Because, you know, then it was my money, too, and it was like, well, why are we, why are you being so generous? So one day I actually, like, said something, and I was like, why are you leaving them this big of a tip? And he was like, because I was a waiter. And I know what it's like to wait tables. And I was always grateful when someone gave me a big tip. And so I'm just gonna leave them a big tip because I can. Because now I'm not a waiter, but I remember what it was like to be a waiter. And now I have the ability to give them a big tip because I can. Not because they deserved it or earned it or that it like followed the social norms of the day, but because he remembered what it was like to receive a gift with no strings attached. Y'all, I was a waitress too. I, I served, I was a waiter. But you see, I had forgotten. I'd forgotten what it was like. How often do we forget and take our gifts for granted? How often do we fail to have gratitude because we forget to acknowledge what we actually have? We remember what we have. And that's why weeks like Thanksgiving are really important because they are seasonal times for us to pause and do just that. But we should do this every day. We should do it as often as we can. Remember what we have. We acknowledge that it was a gift that was given to us that we did not earn and deserve. What is that for you? And then we respond because of that. We do this as individuals, and we do this as a community. This is what we see Zacchaeus doing. This is what a response to the gift of God's love and grace can look like, not because we have to do it, but because we are grateful for that gift. So as an individual, we should do this, but also as a church, as a community. Who in our community needs to be restored? Who is around us that we have to restore into relationship with and into connection with? Where do maybe we need restoration? Because we have been alienated as a church, as a community, from those around us. When we recognize that we have this amazing seat at the table, this amazing, beautiful, wonderful table that is God's vision, God's salvation and love and grace for everyone, when we recognize that we have a seat and that we didn't earn it and we don't deserve it, but God sees us and calls us by name and invites us to sit at this table, then as a response to that, we will build bigger tables. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so we will start to look for and find those ways to be restored to one another and to God. So that this table truly is big enough for everyone. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you. Wait, thank you. God, thank you. Thank you for the gifts that we have The gifts that are easy for us to acknowledge and the gifts maybe are buried a little bit deeper that we need to spend some time recognizing. God, thank you for this church, for the the way that it strives to be in the community and for this community because you are with us and for us. God, help us to be restored to each other. Help us to be restored to you. God, thank you that you go before us and that you walk beside us and you come behind us. God, help us to offer you gratitude today and every day. And may it inspire us to respond in ways that we cannot even imagine now. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love you and each other more. In the name of Jesus and with confidence that your spirit is with us. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit UptownChurchDallas.org or follow us on Instagram. And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.